Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Amen. Well, before we get into the, the actual message today, I want to do just a quick review of last week's message. Last week, we studied in the book of Matthew chapter 3, uh, where Jesus goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. Um, and so this, this story is the inauguration of Jesus's ministry on earth. He's been alive so far for 30 years, and now he's, now he's finally stepping out into the public eye, and this is how he chooses to do it, in the baptismal waters of John. So John calls for those to come for a baptism of repentance, and Jesus steps into the waters, remember? He steps into the waters. John looks at him, he says, no, I don't need to be baptized by you. You need to baptize me. Right? The only person there in the crowd that knew who Jesus was was John the Baptist. Everyone else, the guy standing next to John on the bank had no clue that he was standing beside the Son of God. But John knew exactly who he was. So when he stepped into the waters, John immediately protested and said, No, Jesus, I am not even worthy to clasp your sandals. I am not, even, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, permit it to be so to fulfill all righteousness. So John gives in. He baptizes Jesus, pulls him out of the water. And how many of you remember what baptism is from last week? Baptism is and represents the immersion into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That baptism is an immersion into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When you go into the water, you die. When you're under the water, you're buried. And when you come out of the water, you're resurrected. And Romans 6 tells us that we, were, we died with Christ, we were buried with him, and the glorious part, we were raised to newness of life. And so Jesus begins his ministry by prophetically declaring what he has come to the earth to do. And he has, we said it this way, that the baptism of Jesus by John was Jesus' thesis statement for his ministry. It was him declaring what his purpose was on this earth. So Jesus goes down to the water. He shows us what death through the cross looks like. He shows us what resurrection looks like. But then it goes on and it shows us what happens after we are immersed into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. The first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and rests upon him. Which tells us this out of Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. It says that the Holy Spirit, that when we come to know Christ, when we accept him as our Savior, it says that the Holy Spirit is then given to us as the guarantee of our faith. So when we go through the immersion of the cross and the resurrection, the Holy Spirit is then given to us as the proof that we have come into newness of life. That just as the dove descended upon Jesus when he came out of the waters, when we come out of the grave and resurrection with Jesus, we are too given the gift and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. But it doesn't stop there, does it? He gets, the Holy Spirit comes and rests on him. And then it says that the clouds open and a voice comes from the clouds and declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now this is God's grand announcement 
to the people. Jesus is starting his ministry and God is announcing his son. And I want you to notice, he doesn't say this is Jesus, the savior of the world. He doesn't say this is Jesus. If you need healing in your body, this is the guy to see. He doesn't say this is the guy who knows all there is to know about scripture. No, the first thing he declares, God says the most important thing, the thing I want you all to know above everything else is that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Three times in the New Testament, God speaks from heaven. Two of those three times is God just declaring to everyone around that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The most important thing about Jesus is not even that he's the Messiah. The most important thing about Jesus is that he is God's beloved son and the father is well pleased with him. And I want to declare to you today, the most important thing about you is not is not that you're going to heaven. The most important thing about you is not that you are a minister of the gospel. The most important thing about you is that you are his beloved sons and daughters and he is well pleased with you. He is well pleased with you. You are beloved. And if I preach that one thing for the rest of my life, it's enough because you are beloved. We have to get that revelation because it completely changes everything. When we walk, not when we walk around as sinners saved by grace, we walk with our heads low, don't we? But when we walk around as the beloved of God, what kind of confidence does that birth on the inside of us? We begin then to not walk around as sinners. We begin walking around as Jesus walked around. With the confidence that Jesus walked around, we have access to that same confidence when we come into the revelation that we are his beloved sons and daughters and he is well pleased with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. Today I want to talk to you about love's maturity. Love's Maturity is the title of the message today. Ephesians chapter 3, going to start in verse 14. You all ready for the word today? Amen. Amen. Here we go. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Everybody say rooted and grounded. grounded. I love doing that as a preacher. I feel like I have power (laughs) when I tell you, repeat after me and you all do it. It's awesome. That that doesn't happen at home. It just happens here. So I take advantage of it (laughs) as much as I can. You're rooted and grounded in love that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's a couple things I noticed about this passage right away. One, verse 14 through 19 is all one sentence which tells me Paul was a brilliant man, but he never took an English composition class. (laughs) 
The other thing I noticed, I thought that would get a bigger laugh. That's all right. (laughs) The other thing I noticed about this passage is that this is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. This is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. And what Paul chooses to pray about to the Ephesians is not for their safety. And right now they're in the middle of being persecuted. Some of the greatest persecutions of the church happened in the early days of the church being born. And Paul doesn't pray for their safety. Paul doesn't pray that they would be able to get new converts into the church and the church would grow. Paul prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that they may know the width, the height, the depth, the length, to be able to comprehend the love that surpasses knowledge. His prayer for them was that they would have the revelation of God's love. This is what he chooses to pray. He prays that they would understand something that is not understandable. Did you catch that in the passage there? He says that you would understand something that passes knowledge. What does he mean by that? I think this is what he means. I think we can understand what it's like to love to a measure, right? Like I have knowledge. I know what it's like. I know the feeling of loving my wife, all right? I know how it feels to love my kids. And Paul is telling us here that as we know and have knowledge, some knowledge of deep love, there's still another level of love that we've yet to understand. He says, in fact, it passes knowledge, which tells us that not only is it a love we don't understand, it takes supernatural revelation for us to be able to comprehend the love of God towards us. That it's a love that we have yet to understand. Why does he tell us we need to understand this love? And it goes on and it ends the passage by saying that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So you are not filled with the fullness of God when you raise your hands in worship. You do not walk in the fullness of God when you study the Bible, right? You don't walk in the fullness of God when you understand theology and can make different points. You don't walk in the fullness of God even when you take care of the sick. Doug, I was thinking about you and all that you do. But you don't walk in the fullness of God by running a homeless shelter. As good as that is. We don't walk in the fullness of God when we pray for the sick and see them recover. If you went right now somewhere and raised someone from the dead, that doesn't mean you're walking in the fullness of God. You only walk in the fullness of God when you comprehend something that is uncomprehensible. When you understand the width, the depth, the height, and the length of the love of God for you. When you come into the revelation of his love, then and only then can you walk in the fullness of God. Amen? All of these things, running the homeless shelter, Raising your hands and worshiping, studying scripture, praying for the sick. All of those things, all of those things flow from this one thing. All of those things are a byproduct of walking in the fullness of the revelation of his love for you. Amen. His love 
is the inception for everything it means to be Christian. Everything is birthed from his love. Remember how last week I told you I don't normally have a thesis statement for my message? There's my thesis statement this week. I did my homework this week. His love is the inception for everything it means to be Christian. Everything is birthed from that love. Paul tells us this. He says to be rooted and grounded in love. What does he mean by that? When you are rooted, think of a tree. Trees are, can be, grow real big and tall. They can be real sturdy. But a tree is nothing without the root system. There's no strength to a tree unless it has good and deep roots. And what he's telling us is that love is the root system beneath the ground. That the tree in all of its glory can represent the homeless shelter. The tree can represent the reading scripture, the prayer, all of those things. The tree is, looks mighty and looks powerful, but the tree is nothing without the root system in place. And that root system, get this, is love. Now we have made the root system scripture. And scripture is important, but there is a deeper root system. There is a deeper root system, which is the fullness of God, which is love. You know, scripture is the foundation of our faith, but scripture leads us somewhere. Scripture takes us to his love. Scripture is the revelation of his love. So yes, scripture is important, but the root system is the knowledge and the understanding that we are his beloved. The, the strength of the tree is the roots, and it tells us to be rooted in his love, amen? Then it says to be grounded. The Greek word grounded is, I'm just gonna say it like this. I'm gonna say Thelma Lou. Thelma Lou. That's probably wrong, but it looks right to me. Greek word for grounded, Thelma Lou, it literally means to lay a foundation. To lay a foundation. How many construction people do we have in the room today? Anybody? A couple? All right. Brad, if, if you have the most beautiful house in the world, and there's a house right now for sale in South Carolina, that is, it's the home of some of our good friends that live in South Carolina. It's their parents' home. And they're, they're fairly wealthy people. They have a home theater system in their house. Huge screen. It has these, these lazy boy recliners that, that aren't just lazy boys, but they actually, you know, like when you go to amusement parks, the, the chairs that move with the, with the TV and they, they'll vibrate and they'll do different things. These lazy boys move with what's happening on the screen. And like if there's, a, if there's an explosion, the, the seat will vibrate. This immaculate house. But Brad, what happens to that immaculate house if there's a huge crack in the foundation? It's no good, is it? Eventually, the house is going to crumble. No matter how beautiful and elaborate the house is, the house is worthless without a strong foundation. In Alabama, I did construction in Alabama. And for some reason, maybe it's just Hamilton. I don't know. We lived in Hamilton, Alabama, a town of about 6,000 people. Um, and for some reason, they just don't believe in gutters. 
So, so there's no gutter systems on hardly any houses in, in Hamilton, Alabama. So when I did construction in Hamilton, you know what the number one repair job I did was? Foundations, sill plates, and joists, and those things, because the water gets in the foundation and ruins the foundation. Foundation is everything to a house. And so what does Paul tell us here? That in order for us to walk in the fullness of God, we have to have a solid foundation, what is the foundation? Love. Love. The incomprehensible. As we sang about it today, the reckless love of God is the foundation that everything we do with our Christian lives is built on. And without that foundation, we can build a beautiful ministry. We can build a beautiful life Christian life, but without the foundation and without the root system of love, eventually it will crumble. You know, the tree, the roots hold the weight of the tree, but you know what else the roots do? The roots have to be strong enough to withstand the forces that come against the tree. The wind that blows to knock the tree over the roots have to be strong enough, not just to withstand the weight of the tree, but, with, but to withstand the force of the wind that comes against the tree. And just like us, if our root system isn't strong in love, we may be able to hold the tree up for a moment of time, but the second any sort of force pushes against the tree, the second the cancer diagnosis comes, the second your kids begin to rebel, if the root system of love is not intact and in place, the tree will be pushed over no matter how big and strong the tree looks above the ground. The root system is love. The root system is love. Amen? To understand the fullness of God, the root system is love. If, let's go ahead now and turn to 1 John 1 John chapter 4. Why is the love so important? And what does this love even look like that Paul is talking about? This incomprehensible love. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. So John is saying, this is what the manifested, uncomprehensible God, love of God looks like. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is the love, or in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus coming to the earth and going to the cross was the manifestation of the uncomprehensible love of God. The fact that Jesus had no obligation to come to the earth. The fact that we are the ones who rebelled against him, but he chose to become God incarnate in the flesh and come on the earth and go to the cross anyway 
is proof of the manifested love of God. It's proof of the manifested love of God. And I love the cross because the cross, the cross is the assurance that we never have to question God's love for us. That we never have to be curious whether or not God loves us. He's already proved once and for all of his incredible undying love for us. I love a song by Lauren Daigle. It says that the cross has caused my heart to trust. Your faithfulness and love will always be enough. That the cross is the proof and all the proof we'll ever need that he loves us. Amen. His love for you is never in question. Let's go ahead and read on in verse 10. In this love, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's go to verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Does that sound familiar? The spirit descended upon him like a dove. Ephesians tells us that he is the, the spirit is the guarantee of our faith. And now here in John chapter 13, it says that he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God with the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17, here's where it gets real good. You ready? Are you ready? Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this. That's the second time in this chapter where Paul or John tells us that love has been perfected. That word perfected is the, is the word, a Greek word that means completion are brought to full maturity. So John's about to tell us what it looks like to come into the fullness of the maturity of God's love. You ready to see what it is? That love has been perfected or brought into full maturity. Another translation says that the full expression of God's love among us is this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. What does the mature love look like? What does the perfect love, the love's completeness look like? Love's completeness looks like this, that we no longer fear God's judgment on us. We no longer fear God's judgment of, on us. When the revelation of his love is brought into fullness, in us, we no longer are in fear of punishment from God. We no longer wonder if we're good enough, if we're pleasing to him. We no longer wonder if he's angry at us. Why? 
Why do we no longer wonder this? Because when we step into love's perfection, are you all ready? We are as he is, or as he is, so are we in this world. We, right now, are as righteous as he is righteous. We are as holy as he is holy. We are sons of God and daughters. I don't want to leave you all out either. We are sons and daughters of God just as he is a son and daughter of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. We are loved with the same love that the Father has for Jesus. Jesus' inheritance is our inheritance. That as he is, so are we. As he is, so are we. And some of you are going right now, you're going, well, yeah, Josh, I believe that as soon as we get to heaven, we will be in that completeness. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says, as he is, so are we. Where? In this world. Right now, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right now, you are as holy as he is holy. Right now, you are as loved as he is loved. And right now, you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead inside of your bodies right now. Not when we eventually die and get to heaven. If you remember right from last week, you've already died. You've already died. The cross, the Bible says that we died with him. We were buried with him and we were raised to newness of life. That his resurrection is our resurrection. That his life is our life. Right now, you are as Christ is in this world. Right now. Right now. Come on, get that revelation on the inside of you. This isn't just Bible study. This is truth. Right now, you are as Christ is right now in this world. The cross was not a prequel to heaven. The cross was a finished work, which means when he died on the cross and when he rose from the dead, he accomplished everything he meant to do on that cross. It's not something we have to wait for in a distant future. It was accomplished then, 2,000 years ago, and right now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The cross wasn't a prequel to heaven. You can walk as, what did, what did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? To pray as it on earth, as it is in heaven. Right now, he didn't pray a prayer he never meant to answer. Did he? If he taught his disciples to pray on earth as it is in heaven, then my bet is he's willing and wanting that prayer to be answered. We step into what we step into heaven. We step into it now, not just when we step into heaven. You are now as holy, as righteous as Christ is holy and righteous, amen, in this world. And when we understand this, when the revelation of his perfected love is ours, then the Bible says we no longer walk in fear. Listen to this here. You will never be able to accept his righteousness until you accept his love. You will never be able to accept everything we just said, that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you are holy as he is holy. 
that you now walk in newness of life. You will never be able to accept those revelations until you accept the revelation that he loves you. You know why? Because if we don't first accept the revelation of his love, then we'll think that we have to work to be righteous. We think we'll have to walk sinless to be holy. Because for some reason, even though the Bible says over and over again that his love and his forgiveness is a gift, we still treat it like it's a transaction. We still treat it that if we read our Bible enough and if we pray enough, then we can be good enough. We still treat it like if we don't sin and we walk pure and holy, then he's going to love us and we can be holy and righteous. But we have to understand that his love is not a transaction. His love is a gift that you cannot refuse. Even if you want to refuse it, you can't. He's going to love you anyway. He's going to love you anyway. That his love is a gift. And until we come into the revelation of his love, we will never be able to come into the revelation that we are righteous. Because we'll never be good enough in our own minds. But when we put all of that aside and accept the voice that comes from heaven that says, you are my beloved son, whom I am well pleased in, then we'll never be able to step into the fullness of walking as he walked on this earth. We will never, if we don't have the foundation of love, we will never be able to build on the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Love is the foundation. Love is the foundation. The question then is, how do you step into love's maturity? How do we step into that? How do we step in to perfected, Love that surpasses understanding. How do we step into it? Surrender. Surrender. What does verse 19 say? It says, we love him because he loved us. That our love for God is simply a response to his love for us. It's a response that we don't initiate it. The only way we step into love's fullness is we don't do anything. We just surrender. We just say, God, I don't understand why you love me like you do. I don't understand why in spite of all my failures and my sins, the Bible says that you still chose to go to the cross. I don't understand why you would love me, but I'm just gonna surrender and accept the fact that you love me and call me beloved. And when we surrender, we step in to love's maturity when we surrender and just allow the manifested love of God to overwhelm us, to overwhelm not just our hearts, but overwhelms and wash even our minds 
where we stop thinking like sinners in the hands of an angry God. And we begin to start thinking, I am beloved. I am beloved. And yes, I messed up today, but he still calls me beloved and calls me back into his arms. How did the prodigal son come back to the father? He didn't have to come back and work for so long before he he was accepted again. He stepped on the property and just surrendered to the love of the father. And when we sin and we fail and we mess up, we have to clear this this negative thinking, this false thinking that we have to do so much in order to earn God's trust and righteousness back. We have to just surrender. We have to surrender to the love of God. And let me tell you, surrender is one of the hardest things in the world to do. And some of you even right now, are in your minds thinking, well, Josh, isn't that cheap grace? Josh, and, and even, in your, even in your thinking, you're thinking of, of all of these theological points of how to fight this, of no, I've got to do this and I've got to get my works in line. I've got to do these things. And you're having a hard time just being able to say that even though I messed up, God still loves me. And it's difficult to surrender. It's hard to surrender. But let me tell you something. Let me just read this to you. Proper behavior, let me say it this way. Proper behavior to earn something is the shallowest form of love. Proper behavior because of love is pleasing. Let Let me tell you what I mean by this analogy here. And I'm almost done, I promise. There's two dads with their sons, two different dads with their sons walking through a store. The first father and son are walking through the store and as you observe them, you see that the dad is very stoic, very cold, very hard man. His eyes are forward, barely even notices that his son is a few steps behind him and he walks just a couple steps in front of his kid. And the only time you even know that he has a son is the minutes that he glances back just to make sure that his son is in tow in line behind him. You look at the little boy And the little boy is focused. He's following his dad, but you begin to notice that he has a t-shirt on. There's these little bruises on his arms. And the boy is not looking forward. He's not looking around. He's looking down. His face is down, and you can tell he looks defeated and looks beat up. Then you have the second father and son. And they begin walking down the row in the store. And this father and son, they're standing right next to each other. And the son and the, has his hand in the father's hand and they're counting one, two, three. And when they say three, the son jumps and the dad picks him up as high as he can and the, comes down and the son is saying, dad, that was the highest one yet. That was the, that was the biggest one we've done yet. And they're laughing and, and they're looking at each other. And the, and the son is not distracted by all the things around him because he's so focused on the pleasure that this father has in his son. He's, he's too distracted by the fact that his dad is lavishing just laughter and fun and joy on him. He's too distracted from those things to pay attention to anything else. Both kids are quiet. Both kids are 
in line and doing things, not doing things they're not supposed to. They're not running around the store. They're both submitted and where they're supposed to be. But there's a difference, isn't there? One is obeying because he fears the wrath of his father. That if I step out of line, my dad, he's, he's going to punish me. The other father and son, the son is too busy enjoy. He's too busy. He's too busy enjoying the love of his father to be distracted by all the things that would get him in trouble. And for some reason, we've pictured God as the dad who if we step out of line, there's going to be punishment. That if we step out of line, then, then for some reason, he's, his wrath is going to fall on us. And if we don't get ourselves in line, then, then there's going to be punishment. But in reality, he's the dad that's playing hide and seek with us in the clothes section, right? <laughs> Laughing. One of these behaviors comes from love and not fear. And our father is the second dad. That we have good behavior, not because we're afraid of punishment. You know, hell is a terrible motivator for righteousness. Hell is a terrible motivator for righteousness. But love, love is the only motivator that actually works. The one boy is going to grow up resenting his father. The other boy is going to grow up never wanting to leave his father's side again. Our father is the second dad. Love motivates us to righteousness. Love is a better motivator than fear any day. Any day. Unconditional love is the best motivator for proper behavior. Unconditional love is what causes us to be as we ought to be. Amen? Well, uh, Carly, will you come on up? I'm going to close this out with this thought. Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, the church of Ephesus, was that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that everything they do would be motivated by love. The second time you read about a letter going to the church of Ephesus is Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 says that the angel is to send this letter to the church of Ephesus. Let's go ahead and just read it now. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. 
Nevertheless, I have this one thing against you that you have left your first love. That word first is the word protos. It means foremost, best, paramount, supreme, crowning love. That Ephesus, you are mighty in the land. You are mighty in the land. Apostles, false teachers come and you can discern their spirits and you call them out and you call them liars. That I see your labor in the land. I see your labor in Ephesus and you are perseverant and you are strong and you are doing mighty, wonderful things for the kingdom. But I have this one thing, just this one thing against you. You're doing everything else right, but there's this one thing I have against you. You have left the foundation of love. And because you have left that foundation of love, all this that you've built is weak and will eventually crumble. The foundation, our root system, in order for us to walk in the fullness of God, we have to understand that our God isn't the dad who we obey because of fear of punishment, but he's the dad that we obey and we walk in righteousness because he delights in us and we delight in him. It's a gift. It's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. It's the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God.